Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? This week we're talking about crypto, finally. I know quite a few lovely people who are really excited about crypto and NFTs and decentralized stuff and want us to talk about it. I also know quite a few lovely people who are very skeptical about it and loads of lovely people who are like, what? I don't get it. And they feel like they're missing out on this big conversation and can't really wrap their minds around it. So the general gist is that we know a lot of really nice, lovely people, and they're really divided on crypto and NFTs and DeFi, which stands for decentralized finance, and Web3. It's all part of more or less the same thing. So that's really interesting. And this topic is particularly relevant now because in the New York Times the other day, there was an article about how recently a lot of bills have been passed in the United States about crypto that are basically being drafted and pushed by crypto lobbyists that are against regulation and really kind of support the business. And I think deregulation and finance is always like never a good idea. And then there's Joe Biden who signed this executive order on a federal level saying, hey, we need to think about regulation in this area of decentralized finance, which according to DeFi Pulse today, the entire value of assets locked in to this space is 75.29 billion US dollars. So yeah, today we're talking about crypto. Rina, what's your opinion after a week of researching crypto and all of that? Or what have you learned? What have I learned? Well, I've learned a lot. I didn't know a lot about crypto going in. I have to admit, I'm very bad at technology things. So I just put it over there in the box of things that I don't really understand. And eventually, my brother will harass me into doing something with which is how I function when it comes to all technological internet. So I did a deep dive into the world of crypto this week, essentially learning from scratch what it was, how it functions, what the different words mean. It's been an adventure. And when I've come out the other side, my opinion is, I don't know. When I say I don't know, what I mean is I know a lot about crypto, but I don't know what my opinion is because I'm split into two camps. On the one side, I can see all of the good things about it. And then there's the part of me that is very, very hesitant. I can see a lot of issues that could arise with crypto, specifically around humans are a greedy and corrupt species. And I think that there's a lot of room for negative things here and control. But also at the same time, that's true for anything, isn't it? That was also true for the internet. That's true for the phone. That's true for any sort of new technology. So I wonder if it's growing pains. I'm amazed that you don't have an opinion because after my deep dive, I've come up with a very strong opinion and it centers around, I think, three things. If you just want my conclusion, because I was looking at so much stuff and I read so much and then I was really worried about how am I going to explain all this? How are we going to cover all this in a podcast? And you know what? The best way is maybe just to give you the conclusions. And then obviously we'll link all the sources in our newsletter, but we'll also go into a bit more later on. 
the conclusions I came to are, number one, it's all a big pyramid scheme that is vaguely reminiscent of the 2008 financial crisis. Number two, there is a lot of narrative and a lot of storytelling around this entire area, which reminds me a lot about how cults are organized, which is quite funny because you think it's the intersection of technology and finance and you should be severely logical and stuff, but there is the storytelling side of things and then the reality of things and they don't always match. And the third big conclusion is this whole thing with crypto points to many, many bigger issues and problems in our entire society. What really interests me about what you just said is, oh, I could see the good side of things. Whereas after all my research, I'm really kind of not into it, as you can see. So maybe do you want to tell me what you think are the good aspects of it? Okay. So what I have perceived to be the good things in quotation marks about Bitcoin. One of the things that stuck out to me was that this technology was invented during the 2008 economic crash. I was also super fascinated, this is just a little side note, by the guy who invented Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, and he's still anonymous. Nobody knows who he is. And I think that's really cool. 14 years and we still don't know who this guy is. That's amazing. In 2008, when Bitcoin was invented, it stands out to me that it was during this time of like, you know, when the economy was in free fall and sort of banks had sort of mismanaged everything. So the aspect of it of the people taking back how we manage money as a sort of revolutionary reaction to banks and the institution, I really like that. It's got like a Robin Hood kind of feel to it. And that sort of, you know, always sits sits well with me, essentially. You know, when big institutions and governments get what they had coming, I'm like, ha 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 ha. Because you can kind of understand how people would want to take power away from governments and banks. And then the other thing that I really liked, I guess sort of kind of ties into that. So I was reading about how in 2020 in Nigeria, there were people who were protesting against police brutality. And in response to this, the government froze the bank accounts of 20 protesters, which means the government is still able to control their livelihood. They couldn't buy food, they couldn't pay their rent, but they were able to receive donations via Bitcoin so that they could still live and function. So I really, really like this idea of taking the power away from governments and banks. I was about to say taking the power away from corruption, but then I was like, but nothing in the world is not corrupt. Like Bitcoin presents just as much opportunity for corruption as anything does, because that's just the nature of the world we live in and the nature of humans. So yeah, the idea of taking away power from them sits well with me. Super interesting. So the 2008 economic crash. Did you see the film with Demi Moore called Margin Call? It was about the crash and they're all at this bank. Some analysts like figured out that everything's about to crash and they have they, they need to figure out what to do in one night and you know sell everything and and dump all their stock or whatever during this film which is really funny it's an ongoing joke the analyst is trying to explain stuff and every single executive he meets and every single meeting he goes into everyone's like please don't do the math we can't like it's too complicated just give us the headlines because the, there was so much complexity in it that even now you know when you try and explain what happened it's just so complex and mathematical it's really complex too and there is a parallel with that and crypto like there's a lot of complexity first of all because it's financial stuff 
And then second of all, because it's technical stuff. It's also like on the hard end of technical stuff. And then you've got all of this lingo. Like I think the reason that 2008 financial crash was able to happen was because there were all these layers of confusion about how everything worked. So people were just investing without realizing it was bubble that they were feeding. And because of the way subprime mortgages were packaged and the risk was hidden and everyone was chasing the money and seeing the profit lines go up, they ignored and refused to interrogate this overwhelming complexity. And this is a little bit what's happening now. Like people are like, Bitcoin went up from $4 to $40,000 or, you know, buy this new currency now. It's going to be just like Bitcoin. It's going to go up. Don't worry about the complexity. So in some way, I think this is a recreation of the bubble of 2008. And another problem is regulation, because at the time of the 2008 financial crisis, the regulators, they didn't have as much money, they were being defunded. Some of the people who were working for the regulation companies wanted to keep good relations with the banks so that they could get higher paying jobs when they went to other places. And there was a sort of corruption there. And the whole of the crypto industry and the whole of the DeFi industry has no regulation at all. And I think that's also an issue. But I guess my question would be is, who is supposed to regulate it? Because isn't the idea of things like decentralized currency, not that no one regulates it, but that it's moving away from like government or banking control? Because the second you put people in charge of things like that, it's no longer open. And like now you have certain people in positions of powers above others. And isn't that kind of defeating the purpose a little bit? So actually regulation is normally an independent body. And the government should re regulate the banks. But if the banks had no regulation at all, they would maybe, you know, be even riskier or whatever. And the reason that the financial crisis happened was that there was not enough regulation. It, with crypto, your question was who was supposed to regulate it? And I think governments should regulate it. But doesn't that defeat the purpose of crypto? Isn't the purpose of it that the government can't regulate it? And I mean, yeah, the banks were in theory regulated by government, but not really. Banks were essentially doing what they what they wanted, just the same way that like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos are doing what they want, regulation quotation marks. So wasn't the idea of crypto to move away from this so-called regulation into a space where no one could control it, which obviously leaves room for corruption and terrible things, but it's not like corruption and terrible things weren't happening on the other side, where there was so-called regulations due to human corruptness, like, I mean, I sound like I'm really pro-crypto right now, which is, you know, not the case. I'm still unsure how I feel about it, mainly because I feel like it's too complicated for my non-technological brain to understand right now. But if crypto becomes regulated by governments or even independent bodies like so-called banks, which are then regulated by government, we've just gone back to the same thing we had before, right? Right. That's part of the problem of crypto, because the idea was that everyone regulates it. Everyone can see all the transactions and everything that's happened. And not one central authority, like a bank, you know, keeps a check on that. But the system is more secure because, I guess... It's transparent in a way. A lot of people are verifying that this transaction happened from here to there. But I guess right now they operate outside the rules of law. So, for example, someone can 
say that they are offering you a new cryptocurrency and you can buy into it, but no cryptocurrency even exists, like one coin or something. There is this just doesn't exist and they don't have to prove it. They just say, hey, this is a decentralized system I'm setting up and everyone buys into it. I don't know if you know about OneCoin, but really poor people across the world bought into it and sold their farms and people, the poorest of the poor, got conned by this. Or a crypto company can say, we're offering you this financial product and you know you can cash out at any moment, but then they might not have the liquid funds for you to like withdraw your cash like a bank does. Or if a cryptocurrency falls under, there's no insurance, like the government doesn't the regulation and the consumer protection is not there. You know, if you get conned or somebody hacks into your wallet or something like that, all of that just doesn't exist at all. So there's no consumer protection. So everything's on you and on people. So there's more room for scams. And like you say, uh, it's very complicated. So there's way, way, way more room for scams, in fact. But... In principle, exactly. Like if, yeah, the less power is concentrated, the better it is. However, at the moment, like we have Ethereum, which is, um, Ether is a cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is just like a digital asset. It's a digital coin. Um, and then you have Ethereum, which is the technology it runs on. It's like a blockchain. Blockchain is basically the technology that all these coins run on. And what these people want for the future is that we make all of our trans transactions on Ethereum, right? Say, for example, but Ethereum runs on a different blockchain from Bitcoin, right? So you've got these two main ones. But they're still somehow centralized systems because very few people, very, 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 very few people actually control the mechanisms, the technical mechanisms that make this system run. And those few people who make these systems run, they need a lot of computing power and they need a lot of money in order to buy into making the system run, like to run these nodes. And also, if we think about inequality, because I, I understand what you're saying and it does sound very nice. The ideas behind it are very nice. You know, we're going to make a more equal system for everyone. However, despite all of this, like talk about decentralization and democracy and independence, which is really good selling points, according to Gizmodo, if we take their stats on Bitcoin, for example, of the 19 million Bitcoin currently in circulation, just 0.01% of buyers control around 27% of the cryptocurrency. That was from an article in 2021 in May, so it might have changed just a bit because it's a year old. However, if we take like the problem of capitalism and this problem of concentration of power in the US, which is very extreme as well, the top 1% wealthiest US individuals control about a third of the country's wealth. So if you take that to Bitcoin, it's even a smaller, smaller, smaller amount of people. It's 0.01% control also about a third of Bitcoin. So it's still in the hands of an elite. So it's centralized in a way. The power is still centralized and it's still limited to an elite. And it's centralized on these platforms. It's centralized, you know, either it's on Ethereum or either it's running on Bitcoin. And also these systems technically can't really take over what the banks do because they are so slow and inefficient. So everyone who's envisioning this as like, you know, it's going to be the future and everything. They take up so much power. They're so slow and they're not 
good to do all the things that banking does. So it takes Visa one minute to do a transaction. It takes Bitcoin six hours to do exactly the same transaction. And because of the way the systems work, in order to do that transaction with Bitcoin, because it's decentralized, many different computers are working to make that transaction happen. But in the end, only one computer will kind of win it or be able to like solve the problem, the crypto problem that is needed to finalize that transaction, which means there's a lot of wasted energy from a lot of other computers trying to do that. And Bitcoin, yeah, it was created like with this democracy thing in vision and all this kind of stuff. but it was not created to solve banking's problems. It was just as sort of an alternative currency. So we can't really replace it. Like it's not very, very good as a workable solution for anything. And also all these people who like Ethereum, for example, Ethereum is not just for money. You know, they want to put like your work history on it. They want to put medical records on it. Like people who really believe in this stuff want to put all of your educational certificates and everything into the system. And that makes it even more centralized and you have all of your data on one kind of system, and this system is controlled by a few people. So it sounds good the way that it was conceived, but it's not really working to solve those problems. And it's making like the problem of inequality even worse. And the transaction fees, for example, to like work in the system are really, really high as well. And also, all of the people who are investing, who are pushing all of like Ethereum and Bitcoin and all of this, they are the elites. It's like the board members of Facebook. It's Peter Thiel. It's the Winklevoss brothers who I just think are... It's like they're fiction. It's like they came out of the Matrix or something. Did someone make them up? They are the typical evil James Bond villains, but they're super into it. So all of the elite people are actually still in it. So it's just recreated a kind of capitalist system. Yes, I agree completely. This is why I'm like, my opinion is split about this. So one of the first things that stood out to me when I was watching all these things about cryptocurrency was obviously the amount of computers that it takes and the amount of energy. So I was watching a Vice documentary where they follow Marco Streng, who owns the Genesis Group, or he's chief executive officer of Genesis Mining. He's German. And they're one of the largest cryptocurrency businesses, and they are based in Iceland. And he takes them on a tour of his mining facilities, I guess. I hope that's the correct word. So if you don't know what mining is, mining is the process of validating the transaction on the blockchain, which is what you were talking about before. And he has these halls full of computers, and they're just working nonstop to validate transactions. And they ask him, how much does a laptop cost? And he goes, oh, it costs, you know, a few thousand dollars. So he has millions of dollars worth of computers in the middle of nowhere, Iceland. He's making money without having to do anything, which is very 1%-y, right? And then I was like, huh, okay. So this points to a greater question of inequality, right? So I was doing research around how many people worldwide have access to the internet and have computers. And I just want to apologize in advance about the language that I'm about to use because a bunch of the statistics use kind of terrible and outdated language when they talk about these things. So in 2019, almost half of the households in the world have a computer. In developing countries, a third of households have a computer. In developed country, 80% of people have a personal laptop. And in January 2021, 
There were 4.66 billion active internet users. That's about 59.5% of the globe. A third of the people around the globe have never used the internet. So we're automatically stuck here with who has access to the technology to do this? Who has access to the internet to do this? Because even if people have personal laptops at home, you need a completely different type of computer and computing system to make money off of these systems. So immediately an entire group of people is eliminated from the so-called, you know, free and decentralized cryptocurrency because they don't have access to it, because they don't have access to the tools. So those who are already privileged, so those who already have access to these things are going to get rich from it. Yeah, it's people who have computers, but also it's people who have technical know-how who can do things like play with cryptocurrencies, know what's happening, even buy and sell. Like it's getting very complicated to trade and know how to do it, like from a technical point of view to do certain things. So also what's quite funny is in order to facilitate that and to make things easier for normal people like you and me to, you know, trade in certain coins or to complete certain transactions or to do whatever we want, we actually have to go through a middleman. And this is where most of the scams take place too. And this is why like, there's absolutely no regulation for any of these too. So the FTC, the Financial Trade Commission, has said like there are a lot of scams and they have the figure of about, this was in 2021, I think, but since October 2020, reports have skyrocketed with people reporting losses of more than 80 million in crypto scams. My mum is visiting at the moment. Every day she's getting loads of calls. Somebody has her number and her name about like buying Bitcoin and stuff. And people like they see the headlines and they see the hype and they see the adverts being run on like Times Square and stuff. And they see that NFTs have sold for such an amount. They see Matt Damon is advertising it and everyone's saying, you know, get in on this. You're going to, you know, lose money. You're going to be left behind people because of fear of missing out without a serious sort of understanding of the market because of the complexity of it. And some of it is made up complexity, I feel, to keep people thinking that it's a really smart system when I don't think it is. But yeah, like the amount of scams have gone up and between like 2020 to 2021, it went up a thousand percent. According to CNBC in 2021, $14 billion were scammed out of people in the DeFi space. And the consequences for people who do that stuff is like zero. So, I mean, I think it's a massive problem that does need some attention. Yes, so crypto companies use something called casino psychology, which is essentially, I mean, the name sort of tells you what it is, right? It's the false impression that everyone else is getting rich but you. So they create this sense of FOMO. And thus people are more likely to invest, but also more likely to fall for scams. I was watching this thing about the squid play, which came off the back of squid, squid game. I keep wanting to say Squidward like in Spongebob. So if I ever accidentally say Squidward, sorry. But it was a play to learn online game, which ended up scamming people out of $3.3 million because people invested in it. As soon as the worth shot up, they cashed out, but there never was anything. So, I mean, you all know how scams work. I really don't need to explain that to you. 
I was watching a thing where they were interviewing Vitalik Buterin, who is the founder of Ethereum, who is a very unusual person, let's just say. And it was kind of really creepy to watch this because it was from the year 2019. And he was like flown to Russia because the Russian government was like wooing him and they wanted access to his technology and they wanted preferential treatment. And like you see all these shots of them rolling out the red carpet for him. But he's talking about how he got involved in crypto. So he used to get paid in crypto for writing articles for a blockchain company back when he was in high school. And he like didn't really need the money, but he was like getting paid in Bitcoin. And this just loops back to the whole like privilege thing, right? Like he didn't need money, so he's being paid in Bitcoin. So he was starting from this hyper-privileged position of already having a leg up. And now he's like a multi-millionaire having invented this thing. And the Russian government is wooing him. And oh, you see these shots of Putin and it makes you go... Vitalik is very interesting and very creepy looking also. There are so many just geeky boys who have no idea about how the world works in a real sense. And are just like... You know, he's like, oh, yeah, everyone's medical records should be on uh, Ethereum. It's like, no, that's not how medical records work. And they shouldn't be easily readable and accessible by everyone. And there shouldn't be a record of the stuff and that everyone can just look at. Anyway, he's interesting because he got his seed money from no other than Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel, when he talks about taking power away from the bankers, I mean... It's but very coded in racism, and he's talking about the Jews, and there's a lot of racist stuff going on there. The squid thing was very interesting because there was a token, like a coin. It just, I mean, you can make a cryptocurrency, that's fine, they had one. And then they had, in their terms and conditions, they, they did take all the money and run, and then they left everyone with these squid tokens. But these squid tokens, they said, you can only sell them if you have marble tokens it was in the small fine print but there weren't any marble tokens so the people who had the squid tokens found that afterwards that they couldn't even sell them because they didn't have any marble tokens to pair them with and so it's very pyramid schemey because people are like this is the next big thing it's the next big bitcoin get in on it and people who don't understand are just like getting in on it and thinking hey, this is how I'm going to make my money because everyone in the US at least understands that even if you make a good wage, if you earn $25 an hour, it's literally impossible to move up to the idle class, basically. So you, the only way you're going to do it is through these dreams that are being sold to you. And also, there are a lot of like acronyms going on in these groups and there's a really, really, really good documentary that I think everyone should watch. It's on YouTube called Line Goes Up. But he joined a bunch of these groups on Discord. And he said, like, everyone, for example, says good morning and good night to each other. It's like one of those things on Discord. There are all these acronyms like HFBP, which stands for like have fun being poor for people who are not in the group. Or like they talk about we being the chosen ones and we're going to make it. So there's all this like concepts of like in groups and out groups and this belief in a better future and stuff, which is super, super culty. And any questions like, hey, what did the organizers of this NFT group or whatever, what did they do? Or when can I cash out and stuff like that? Like cashing out of a cryptocurrency is seen as super negative. All those questions are shut down. 
there's a lot of toxic positivity in the space. Like you can't say anything to criticize it. And I think that's like people want to believe in a better future. There's no other way you can make money, everyone knows, unless you're part of a financial elite. And this gives you the idea of that possibility and it's selling you this belief. But it's also, I think it's a community, like we together, you know, we're building a better future, all of this stuff, whereas it's just clearly not. The technology is slow, it's environmentally detrimental, it's not good for much, NFTs is a big joke, the elite are still in charge. And it's also, like you said, there's this gambling, gamification aspect to it. So I think it just points to a bunch of stuff that we're missing in our lives, which is just like a sense of community, a sense of belief in something else. Capitalism, like how do I get out of the shitty life that I'm in without working all the time? All of these things are just being taken advantage of and being sold back to people who don't understand the technology and the people at the top of the pyramid are the people who are like benefiting from it it cannot be stressed enough that a lot of people who are really evangelizing and pushing this technology and running those ads and stuff are the people who invested in it first and have the most to gain out of more people putting money into it and putting pushing the price up I remember like last year when NFTs just exploded over the summer and that big deeple art piece was sold at Christie's for I think 69 million dollars and everyone was like oh this makes it mainstream NFTs like digital art this finally way and it turns out that that was bought by a guy who had his own coin called B20 which I think was in the Ethereum and he wanted to like push up the price of that and the price of that did go up from like I don't know 26 cents to I don't know 36 dollars or something ridiculous like a lot And Deeple, who's the artist, had 2% share in this B20 coin. And so just the buying of this art, it it was a massive propaganda move. It pushed up both of their profits massively, like so big, from 36 cents. And then it made this whole NFT market. I don't know if you remember, everyone was like minting and selling NFTs. It means all the artists, like the big artists who already had a following... They were like, okay, I can sell my digital assets and they made a bunch of money. But then all these small artists, you have to like mint the thing. You have to buy into this currency to pay the transaction fees. And now you've got this currency just so that you think you're going to sell something. And like by June, even this massive market just collapsed entirely. And there are loads of artists who just invested into Ethereum just to like put their works up who didn't sell anything or had to then bring all of their communities along and all their friends and everyone to like try and convince them to go onto this platform and buy something. And then that's like more of a pyramid scheme, right? Because everyone's just bringing in more and more people to use this currency. There's very like low liquidity. So the people at the top can't cash out at the prices because there's no dollars unless more and more people invest and then they can cash out. And then those people need more and more people to to buy in and inflate the price up so that they can cash out if they're going to cash out. And at some point, I think the whole bubble's just going to pop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you know that El Salvador is the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender? These are just some of the fun facts I came across while researching this. The amount of electricity that Bitcoin consumes is on par with the consumption of the entire country of Argentina. That's per year. So it uses a ridiculous amount of energy. I don't know. I mean, I like to imagine that 
we're in a world where we're going to decentralize digital kingdoms like Facebook or Google or YouTube, and we're going to take away power from corrupt governments, and we're going to have a revolution. And then I remember how shitty and terrible humans are, and that nothing in this world is fair. And then I feel really naive for hoping for a future where potentially there might be some freedom like that. Wow, I sound really down. (laughs) I don't know why. Actually, I think if they got their way, I think the future we're heading towards is where everything is monetized. Every single bit of everything. So you get coins or crypto for watching a thing and the people who make the thing get it per view. Or every single tweet, for example, or every single interaction or contribution you make is then sort of monetized in the form of a coin and everything becomes one big casino. And I think like also, especially for art, like, you know, there's this idea of like the gift, like you just, the art exists in a separate realm from capitalism, because it's something you just do. Obviously, we live in the capitalist realm, but there must be communities and activities and things that lay outside of being digitized and quantified and that you get money from. Just systems have to have to exist outside of quantification and outside the computer. It's just a problem that all of these geeky people who have no understanding of the world or people or like art, for example, the Deeple thing, it was not bought because that guy thought this is really cool and it's got an inherent value. He bought it because the value of his currency went up. And if every single tweet or every every single thing that we send or thing that we make is quantified in this way, based on, you know, popularity or how many people interact with it even, what are we producing? How does that affect us if we're thinking about things like that in a society? I don't think it's any good. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, when you're investing, think about sustainability. Number two, never invest in something that is mysterious or too complex that you do not fully understand. Make sure you interrogate it and investigate before investing. And thing three, maybe this is a reminder that we should spend a little bit more time offline. Engage with your community, engage with your art. Just remember that you can live a life that isn't solely connected to the internet. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 Euro a month. Visit patreon.com misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.